Heaven's faith doth glow over the solidity and compound mass with tristful visage, as against the doom is thought sick at the act. Ay me, what act that roars so loud and thunders in the index? Look here upon this picture and on this, the counterfeit presentment of two brothers. I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 7, The Counterfeit Presentment of Two Brothers. Liam and Robert prepare to box each other as part of a royal charity gala. Cyrus lays a trap for a politician. Eleanor meets Prince Sebastian Idrisi. And Helena is wooed by an American entrepreneur. Ooh, I'm just realizing now as I think about what happened on the episode how... How many multiple meanings that title had, since there was a great deal of counterfeiting involved in this episode. I don't know if I sound any different to you listeners on this one, but I am getting over a sickness <laughs> and have like a very stuffy, cold situation going on. This, mm. to me, felt like a really classic, like season one throwback episode. There was a big event. All the characters came to the big event. The whole episode revolved around the big event. Uh, funny stuff and like lighthearted stuff typically outweighed sad and angsty stuff. And then it ended with sort of an unnecessarily dramatic moment. So uh, I was all around pleased. It did have sort of a season one feel. On the whole, season three has felt more like season one than season two for its to its to its uh, betterment, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, this one in particular, yeah, is a big palace event episode. I would say is coming surprisingly late in the season. I feel like usually, I think in the past two seasons, there's been like the last three or four have been in in terms of the timeline, one after the other, after the other, after the other, because something major happens, like King Simon dies, or they figure out that Ted Price was the killer, and then the last three or four are just all take place in the span of a day or two, and there's no breathing room between them. Not so in this season, it seems like. If you saw the preview for last week, I think we're about to get into that, like, part of the season that you're talking about where everything mm. starts to happen really intensely all at once. I mean, I'll just lay my cards on the table because it's kind of at the heart of this episode, so all season, they've been doing the Liam, Catherine, Robert love triangle and so much of like, basically Liam's entire storyline has rested upon this one story idea. Um, and now it's episode 307 and it seems like Catherine has chosen Robert if she had done this in the season finale, I'd be like, okay, Catherine and Robert are together. But we still have three episodes to go till the season finale. And mm -hmm. Robert still doesn't know that Catherine and Liam had their, like, torrid affair. 
and that she almost didn't get back together with him because of that. So that shit is obviously going to hit the fan. And I feel like this episode, a lot of stuff was in service of setting that up, understandably. They also finally gave Cyrus a hint of a plan for how he's going to retain the crown, which I think before this episode, there pretty much was none. He just kind of said he was going to try. Uh, it turns out his plan is exactly what you would expect Cyrus to do. Sexually based blackmail, his forte. He only has one plan, and that plan is always plan A, sexual blackmail. He never gets to plan B. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, is Cyrus's uh, thoughts on sexual blackmail, apparently. There are a lot of things in the Royals universe that are politically unbelievable. Politicians having weird sex lives that sometimes spill into their political life is not one of the things I find strange and unrealistic about the show. Cyrus is uh, very much aware of that fact and uses it to his benefit. He seems to understand that pretty much any older man is completely powerless um, as soon as you put like a sex worker in their path. That's pretty much, I was like trying to think of a better way to say that, but unfortunately there is not one. I guess instead of foreshadowing what's going to happen, we should just talk about it. Um, basically, yeah, I want to. I mean, there so there are such clearly divided storylines in this episode. It's kind of it's kind of great. I mean, it yeah. all comes together in the big fight, but for the most sure. part, everyone is all the each member of the royal family is kind of doing their own thing, with the exception well, of Robert and Liam. To lay the groundwork, today is the day of the I don't know. I guess it's the, oh, it's a charity event for the Veterans uh, Association, the Veterans Charity that Liam ostensibly started, but really Willow started, but then Robert took over um we'll get into it more but we're supposed to feel so sad that liam got this charity taken away from him by his brother an actual veteran of war all liam did was come up with the idea for the charity and then he did fuck all else it's not like a novel idea for a charity it's not like there this was a never before thought of cause that liam had a moment of genius. For once, we know how long an episode takes place over. This episode took place over two days. But I think they did mention something about this episode taking place two weeks after the previous episode. Uh, Yeah, so the gala runs over the course of a weekend. And as this very pithy newscast says... uh, And if you were thinking of buying those gala tickets aftermarket, don't bother. If you weren't invited, you're not invited. It's all the hoi polloi. We get pretty much all our standard players plus some fun new characters. And there's no Jasper this episode. And there's no Sarah Alice either. It's kind of a nice reprieve from both of them. As much as I enjoyed them last episode. Not, not the hoi polloi. The, the, the people at the charity would be the, the non-hoi polloi. Isn't hoi polloi like fancy people? No, it's the masses. It's the real housewives of the royals. Brazilian horse heiresses who are serving as secretaries. Yes. Cyrus's ex-wife and conspicuously friends who probably have a bravo reality show the fair ladies as they are known i love those characters and i would happily see them again on another episode and conspicuously uh out of place Catherine and her sister angie are also present the morning of the gala eleanor is setting everything up uh she organized everything and she designed everything and it's mm-hmm. like It's a stated fact in the show from other characters, but also you can see with your own eyes. She did a really good job, and it looks really good. 
I yeah. like like this budding designer thing that they're doing with Eleanor because yeah. it's about time that they gave the poor thing like a skill. If everyone is going to be shitting on her 24-7 and if every episode is about just causing her as much pain and misery as possible, they could at least give her a talent. And they have, so I appreciate that. This is the most time they probably actually spent at developing that talent, but they have hinted at it a little bit in the past. Well, she redecorated her room, which looks killer, even though she painted over the wallpaper. And she's done some fashion design stuff, like transforming her mom's old dress into her new dress for... Robert's balcony appearance. Um, but I'm glad that it wasn't just fashion design because I think that would have been a little too like stereotypical for this type of character, especially on a show that's pitched to young women. She also kind of is marketing that uh, eyeliner from a few episodes ago, which is somewhat related, I suppose. Yeah, it's cool that she's having her own products and stuff. I- I'm into it. The other thing Eleanor is having trouble with is retaining a bodyguard. Apparently she has fired something like five in the past week because for various reasons that seem mostly pretty minor, the most recent one she says she doesn't like his cologne, I believe. I guess the idea is that Eleanor had some bodyguard who wasn't James and wasn't Jasper in the interim since James was promoted. And since Jasper left, she's been feeling like she can't trust people. So she fired that guy who had only been around for like, what? two weeks, three weeks, because this season has been super tight. And then she's just been firing more and more because she can't trust people, which she talks about in this episode. I'm like, honestly, based on how every other character has treated you, I don't blame you. And both your brothers are kind of giant pieces of shit. I feel like there's evidence for this in the backlog, but I'm not sure. The order of promotion is that you rise to the next person in line for the crown when a bodyguard disappears. Maybe her old bodyguard got promoted to Liam. I think the reason Jasper was working for Liam was because Jasper was straight up, like, not working for them anymore. And he was stalking Eleanor. And then Liam and him became friends during that time. And Liam, like, rehired him, if I recall the second season correctly. I think that it wasn't that he went straight from Eleanor to Liam, but it's still really bizarre because Eleanor's bodyguard was James and then James was promoted weeks ago. So she she should have had someone in the interim, but she didn't, whatever. They're just now addressing it. Functionally, Jasper was her bodyguard because he spent no time with Liam and all of his time with her. He was, as the show would say, Jasper, God, my yeah. body. <laughs> Correct. He yeah. was guarding her body, just yes. like Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. Um, Our favorite new character shows back up to interview Eleanor. Harper. Her name's not Harper. Was it Harper Lee? It wasn't Harper no. Lee, was it? <laughs> but it Harper I'm sitting Ray? here like, Harper Collins, which is completely a publisher. It doesn't matter. She's sexy reporter lady who yeah. wore a giant fucking blazer as a dress last episode and she's back wearing a wrap dress the lowest point of which hits below her boobs like on her stomach i can't believe how this woman dresses for work i don't want to sound prudish but i would just love it if the professional women of this world were a little bit more professional she could learn a lot from eleanor who's very professional this entire episode um but harper is the world's worst reporter as we established last episode she tries to question Eleanor about her personal life and like whether or not she has a boyfriend in the most 
obvious way possible. Like she has no subtlety. She has no cunning. She's like the world's most obvious liar. So she tries three times and Eleanor is really nice to her and like kind of lets it go the first two times and then says like, Look, I was nice the first two times that you not so elegantly brought this subject up. But your interview is now complete. Publish whatever you'd like and see yourself out. She honestly could have tossed her out and taken away the rights to an interview, period. Mm -hmm. But Eleanor walks away after answering no questions. And Harper smiles like, (laughs) got her. Like, the camera zooms in very close on her face and she has this look of like, hmm, I won this round. And it completely makes no sense with what we just saw. Just for those keeping track, there is still so far no reason whatsoever that This couldn't have been Crenshaw, a character we already know. And love. And love. In the last episode, there was even a line, I don't know if you remember this, where Jasper, like, wonders if Harper's even her real name, which was apparently pointless, because I guess it is. This character is the most useless, pointless thing of all time. She's only in one scene in this episode, and I Mm -hmm. just summarized it, and we've already spent more time talking about her than we needed to. While she's preparing the event, Eleanor runs into another uh, relative... Well, this character is brand new. A gentleman asks if he can have his picture taken in the boxing ring. Yes, a gentleman. You could say that. I immediately Google image searched this guy and started texting pictures of him to my roommate, Jane, who sent back that meme of Aretha Franklin holding up a video camera to her face so she can see closer. Suffice to say, he is a very, very, very good looking man. I mean, holy crap. He's another model turned actor like Tom Austin, who plays Jasper. I don't know what his name is in real life, but the character's name is Sebastian. We don't know that at this point, though. He's just some anonymous guy at this point. Some anonymous, very good-looking dude. It's uh, cute. Yeah, there's like a boxing ring already set up for tomorrow night's match, and he wants to take a selfie, and Eleanor thinks he meant like a selfie of the two of them together just because she's a princess. But he actually wants to pose laying down in the ring with her stepping on him like she just knocked him out. And it's very fun. Um, Part of the gala is that all of the royals auction off just a small piece of their time. That's the daytime part of the gala because there mm -hmm. has to be stuff to keep everyone occupied until the boxing match the following night. And um, this guy, Sebastian, wins Eleanor's time, which is a game of croquet. And we'll talk about the auction scene because Cyrus hosts it and it's really fun. But basically, uh, his name is Prince Sebastian Idrisi. He's the rare addition of a character of color to the show. And I think he is the first non-white royal to be introduced since the basically unnamed African tribes people who appeared in season one. Who gave the Chekhov's bow and arrow. It's kind of an exciting development, I gotta say, because this show is super, super, super white. But they uh, end up going on this date to a croquet match together after he wins the auction. Eventually, they kind of abandon croquet since neither of them are particularly proficient at it. They don't even know how to play. They turn it into a drinking game. They just decide to knock the ball into this open mouth statue's mouth and if they manage to do it the other person has to drink and those are the new rules for their game that sounds better than normal croquet that sounds totally fine right i've never played normal croquet but it's it sounds much simpler um sebastian has 
brought a flask of whiskey on the date, which I think Eleanor proves proves to Eleanor that he is a man after her own heart. Obvious that he's going to be a love interest for her because of him being charming and handsome. But I will say he really didn't like try to flirt very hard with no. her. You know what I mean? Like he's the first male love interest she's had who hasn't been immediately from Jump Street creeping on her sexually. He was very, very like hands off and respectful, which I appreciated. They eventually end up talking about the fact that Eleanor is reeling still from her recent breakup with Jasper. And he kind of just provides some like for once Eleanor is the one receiving some emotional support. Yes. Um, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, he says, I've dealt with bad breakups before, and I know it sucks now, but it will get better with time. And they just kind of have a, yeah, like Shannon said, a fairly platonic time sort of commiserating over past heartbreaks and how best to deal with them while they share sips from this flask. Yeah, he doesn't offer any particularly original advice, but he like makes light of the situation. He talks about how women can't stand being around him, and Eleanor is like, oh yeah, I'm so sure, obviously because he's a very handsome prince. And he's like, no, I tried to save this colony of lepers one time, and like they wouldn't have any of it because they didn't want anything to do with me. So he kind of distracts her. And it's nice. And I got to say, hot take, I think a fellow royal is exactly who Eleanor should be dating right now because I don't consider myself to be a classist or elitist person. But Eleanor's history of dating common people has not gone super well. And you don't want someone who's an aristocrat like Beck, who's like, kind of a star fucker because he wants to rise in the game. Someone like Sebastian has an understanding of Eleanor's experience because he's also royal to some extent. I mean, he's seventh in line for the throne and she's like fourth right now. Third. Fourth or fifth, maybe? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and it also depends if, yeah, it's, you know, the lineage of the Henstridge family is a little complicated right now. But, yeah. um. You know, he, I think it's good sometimes to have a peer, someone who can understand your unique experience. So it, it's, I liked that he was a prince. I think it's kind of a clever plot idea. They seem to get along fairly well. I, afterwards, they do continue to hang out because he is present when James Hill tells uh, Eleanor's former bodyguard that he is being let go and he immediately responds by attempting to attack her. And yes. he is subdued by a woman that I actually did not recognize at first because she did not have her signature baseball cap and just one of the boys' feet-on-the-table posture. She did in the previously on, though. This is Rosie, the just-one-of-the-boys lady from the veterans' poker scene. In this episode, she's considerably more tolerable, I would say. And cool girls are my number one pet peeve, but they finally dialed her down to, like, just be a normal person instead of a caricature. Yeah, and she's, like self-deprecating instead of just <laughs> insulting other people for their missing limbs, right. et cetera. But uh, obviously Liam, who has become a real ruiner this season, tries to ruin my love of this character by coming in and saying, 
James, I can vouch for her. The only thing she's guilty of are cheating at poker and swearing. And I'm like, oh, Liam, go away. I was liking this character for two seconds and you're trying to ruin it. Uh, And the Eleanor storyline concludes more or less with um, her telling James Hill that she would like him to look into Rosie to take up her bodyguard position because unlike the last guy she likes her perfume and she can get along with her and And she's obviously good at it there's also a a scene where rosie reveals that her her shoes are actually fakes that she i think painted the soles of some knockoffs to make them look original is that something of something of that nature if i'm not mistaken pretty sure it's uh louboutins which are a very fancy french brand of designer shoe that always have red soles anyway the red sole is a very like distinctive designer trademark and rosie reveals that hers are just plain black heels with uh, the soles spray painted red which is very clever but she's not like an asshole about it she's fun and uh her and eleanor have like a nice exchange i just want eleanor to have a friend who's not trying to fuck her out of some diamonds is that sure. so much to ask this is i think the first time in two seasons that we have met a female who is not immediately openly flirtatious to her and just talks to her like a a fellow human being more or less it's sad that we're this excited about it wraps up with her asking james hill if it's going to be okay and he says yes while a sung- singer songwriter under underneath says something about like when you're unhappy or something like that the song those are the lyrics to the song it's there are so many on the nose music cues this episode it was like a new record when liam and robert stepped into the ring to fight the song was like about taking the crown Okay. Also worth noting at the end of the episode, Prince Sebastian gives Eleanor his phone number in a completely non-flirtatious way. And she even says, like, if we hung out, it wouldn't be a date. And he was like, oh, yeah, totally. Um, And then, of course, the last thing we see of Eleanor is her texting Jasper. I don't think we need to discuss... Uh, we'll see what happens with the Jasper stuff and all that moving forward, but I don't think we need to discuss it on this episode where it was... We deserve a break. Instead... We've been working so hard. Let's talk about the most unimportant storyline in this episode, which is Helena, uh, who has an auction of her own. Yes. Um, Everyone gets auctioned in this episode. It's for charity. You buy a $300 ticket, you put it in, like, with a bunch of other tickets, one gets pulled, and you win. The date with whatever member of the royal family. And Helena's is, I guess, just having tea in, like, the garden or something? Pretty on-brand queen stuff. I mean, if you're going to buy time with the queen, you want it to be as queen as possible. She she is won, I guess, by this billionaire businessman. His name is Jack Parker, and he's American, even though the actor playing him is painfully, obviously British. And I'm not just saying that because I recognized him from another British show. His accent is wobbly at best. You know, Tom Austin, who is British, does a very good American accent when he is called upon to do so as Jasper. Here, not so much. You should note at the beginning of the episode, it's established that um, Helena and the Lord Chamberlain's figgy pudding sex was not a one-off. They oh, don't to... call it figgy pudding sex. That makes it sound like the pudding was a part of the sex. Well, it was in a way in so much as it interrupted. But um, Oh, no, that makes it sound like they were rubbing pudding on each other. Apparently, they're now having sex on the regular. Uh, she kicks him out of bed in the morning and 
he comes back in his official Lord Chamberlain role a few minutes later. But not even he. It's implied that he like basically walks out, does a loop, and comes back into the right. room through a different door without stopping. Um, but uh, regardless of that budding relationship, she goes on this date with John Parker, Jack. Uh, Jack Parker. He's American. Yeah, he's of course, I mean, with a name like Jack Parker, of course he's American. He's no Twisden Beckworth. Um, He talks about, while on their date, he says he wasn't bored with anything except his instincts, and his instincts made him a billionaire, and Helena has the same instincts that made her a royal from relative obscurity. He's like a Belinda Blinked character from the amazing podcast My Dad Wrote a Porno. He feels like Jim Sterling. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of does. He does have that vibe. It's kind of funny. There's a moment where he says, yeah, like, you weren't born into the monarchy. You became a monarch. I'm like... It wasn't really because of her instincts, though. It was because her mom murdered someone. But yeah. laying that aside, he says this thing about instincts, and Helena goes, oh, bollocks, which is exactly what I was saying at home. But she's obviously super flattered and turned on. And as the dialogue goes silent, you can hear the clinking of teacups as they put down their cups, and the music goes... Hey, did you notice she was turned on by that? Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think there's only like three scenes with Helen in the whole episode, but the last one. Yeah. Or at least where she's the focus. But the last one is after the events of the charity drive have, have ended. And the Lord Chamberlain comes in for Helena's nightly checkup, I guess. <laughs> Whiskey and sex having. As he's coming in, he notices who else but Jack Parker is still there uh, long after the date should have ended. Uh, and they both ask for a nightcap. Um, Jack asks for cognac. And Lord Ch- Spencer's like, okay, well, would you like your normal whiskey, uh, Queen Helena? And she's like, you know what? I'll have cognac too. And he leaves the room. You don't looking, know me. Looking all disenchant, disheartened and, and sad. sad he's he got caught feelings. Boo-hoo. I mean, it's worth pointing out that Jack Parker is a good-looking older dude. He's like exactly Helena's type. He's got a jaw you could cut glass on. So it's not like she totally got like bought and tricked into this gross sexual romantic situation. He's the rare age-appropriate love interest for her. Uh, So let's start with Cyrus because he's kind of the one pulling the strings in this episode in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, we don't see him that much in the setup for the gala. No, but, no. Um, he gets to be like the master of ceremonies, essentially, for the auction. And yeah, he yeah. basically does a roast of each of his family members as they come up. Yes. Um, like with Eleanor and the croquet thing, he says, The winner will get to play with Eleanor's. In a game of royal garden croquet. And she gets him back. She snatches the microphone out of his hand and goes, <laughs> Tabloid joke, tabloid joke, I only have one ball. And then gives him the microphone back. So uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like, it's good. She, but Eleanor is the only one who fights back. Uh, for Helena, up. he says, It's for a lovely afternoon tea with everyone's favorite fairy tale villain, Queen Helena. 
she'll be treating you to England's best eye rolls, which she does roll her eyes. But I'm like, you got off a lot better than your kids at this roast. Yeah. For Liam's. Liam's. He's like, Here's, you win something that not even Liam would want. An afternoon with Liam. And I was like, that is the most accurate burn you've made so far tonight. And that is one by the fair ladies who we'll talk to when we talk about Liam's stuff. Because I don't want to get into them just yet. But they're amazing. And then Robert, who he feels something the most genuine love and the most genuine contempt for. He says, like, a date with the undead or something like that. But yeah. I don't think he actually dislikes Robert even though they're the most pitted against each other right now in some ways. But uh, he also has one for himself, which uh, I don't even know what the prize... I guess they just kind of hang tasting. out. No, it's a bourbon Oh, a tasting. bourbon. They, they taste bourbon in, his, in the king's bedroom, I guess. Earlier in the episode, we see a woman that I didn't initially recognize uh, very conspicuously bump into uh, an old stodgy-looking white fella who has a billion tickets in his hand and knock them out of his hand and sort of with like that kind of um you know that thing where a woman who is older talks like she's like you know six years old that kind of affectation yeah to quote 30 rock how dare you i'm a very sexy baby <laughs> like comes on to him and is like oh i'm just a poor girl i can't afford a ticket But she's actually talking more like a proper lady than she does later when she's her quote unquote real self. So I was like, what happened? Sure. You've had the ability to turn this on and you've been choosing not to. But yeah, she's like, she does the bend and snap in front of him basically and is like, I so wish I could put in a ticket for bourbon with the king, but I'm poor. And then he's like, well, it wouldn't be very charitable of me not to... uh, give one to you or something to that effect and she says oh let's buy one together and then if we get chosen we'll both go in and i didn't recognize this girl who goes by cindy for most of the episode as the sex worker who cyrus knighted cinnamon spelled like sin s-i-n but it is her um even without knowing that i could kind of tell that there was some sort of a scheme because of course they get chosen by cyrus she's there to to do some kind of yeah she's she's clearly not on the level she's trying to scam this guy in some fashion but as soon as cyrus called her that i immediately put two and two together and i was like oh that's definitely the prostitute he knighted for no apparent reason like four episodes ago i had no problem with him becoming king at the end of season one and i was excited for like kingly cyrus hijinks there were none it was all angst him finding out he had cancer him dealing with his mortality and him falling in love with violet and now he's competing to keep the the crown which is okay but there was a few episodes before before violet showed up where they did have him just kind of being an evil king character and then violet showed up and ruined everything yeah it's relatively apparent that this particular auction was rigged from the get cindy seems to know that they would win she seems to know the moment they won that that was going to happen and i think even if she didn't act like that you would probably put two and two together and assume so he basically just gives them like free license to his bedroom and immediately cindy Cindy is like, ooh, you've been so generous with me. Let me be generous with you and starts making out with him. 
And when we cut back, the worst thing I've ever seen is forcing its way into my eyeballs. Well, it starts out with him doing a line of cocaine off of uh, Cindy's cleavage. And then he sits up and puts in uh, a binky. Does everybody call it a binky? I assume that's a common vernacular term. No, that's not. I've never called them that. And hearing you call it that somehow makes this all even worse. A pacifier, you know okay. what you know. That's you got, fair. Yes, everyone knows what we're talking the about. Term. Please don't um, use the childish words for these things when we're talking about <laughs> horrifying sex acts. And he leans over and he starts talking in baby talk about how he was bad, and she is spanking no. him with a shoe. He says. I mean, whatever people want to do behind closed doors, I don't judge it, but I really did not enjoy watching this scene. He's wearing like a diaper made out of a sheet that's been pinned around him. Other than that, I don't think we need to describe the act itself much more. It's mercifully short. Fortunately, Cyrus enters and interrupts the proceedings. With some of his best line readings all season. When he says, like, Weston, you freak. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he, like, sort of says it in what I would almost call a Stewie Griffin voice. There's no other way to describe it. He says something else to him that I thought was really funny. Uh, Like, he... He calls him a baby, but in, like, not, like, a funny, sexy way. Like, he's yelling at him really meanly. I wish I had written down some of his lines. He just obviously just tells this guy, like, you're the one who's in charge of picking the people for the Privy Council. Well, if you don't want the tape of you snorting cocaine off a sex worker's chest and then having kinky adult baby sex with her then you'd better pick people who you know want someone like me to continue on as king instead of someone like robert who actually cares about public policy that's cyrus's big plan finally he actually is doing something to retain the crown and again like we said sexual blackmail it's his plan a through z it's how he made a baby and it's how he got holloway to do whatever he wanted holloway to do that one time the only other plan we've seen him enact i think was just poison a guy. Cyrus um, will just go up to your wife and be like, I'm fucking your husband and not think a thing of it. He's not the sort of guy you want to mess with because he sort of has nothing to lose at this point. After they've successfully got the blackmail tape on this MP, there's one last scene of him and Cinnamon. And in reward for her good work, uh, she asks to become a baroness, which he obliges using his brother's Cane uh, sword. I don't know if it if it is official if you just do it in private with no witnesses, but he appoints her Baroness Cinnamon, which she quickly corrects this time successfully, to Saffron, which was actually not a bad callback. They've been pretty good with the callbacks to minor details this season. The scene ends in kind of is it weird to say a cute way because they don't have they don't amazingly they don't have gross sex at the end of the scene. She's like. 
that dress was horrible and that makeup didn't look like myself at all. And obviously now she's back to her, you know, like raccoon eyes makeup and she's wearing this ridiculous, quote unquote, sexy outfit that looks really silly. And as she kind of sways out of the room on her super high heels, Cyrus turns around and the look on his face is like, kids these days, what am I going to do with her? Like he doesn't say anything, but the look on his face is kind of, benevolently amused more so than annoyed like he usually is. But I guess that brings us to kind of the the meat of this episode. Who's which... ready for a boy fight? Woo! Yeah. Finally, the female gaze is being honored between Prince Sebastian's edition and now this. Because honestly, we've had to deal with a lot of sex scenes where the men are fully clothed in suits and the women are completely naked down to their lingerie. So... It's about time we got a little bit of female gaze up in here. Liam is having dreams at the beginning about fighting Robert that are all super artsy and Liam-y, and he keeps on getting beat down in them. And Catherine is there, and just like in real life, she's like, you need to stop. Yeah, And exactly. he's like, no, I never will! So it's clear that he's a little bit anxious for the big day, which nevertheless comes before the actual uh, event gets rolling. He talks to uh, everyone's favorite, Willow. Who, My favorite, certainly. Who he kind of lightly tries to set up with his friend from, the, I think it's his friend from the music festival episode. Things are starting to get real fuzzy because these people are all supposed to be part of the same circle of friends. Like uh, when Robert didn't know Willow, I was confused because she's supposed to be someone that his siblings have known their whole lives. This music festival friend guy who has no personality as far as I can tell. Would have been better, I think. Far better. I suppose they probably couldn't get the actor. I hope they tried at least. I think if in both episodes it was uh, A-Shock instead yeah. of this guy, it would be totally in character for A-Shock to have a dumb crush on Willow from afar and try to have Liam set him up. Although... If they do want to get Liam and Willow together, which I'm 100% certain at this point they don't, and I will get into my extensive theories as to why, it would be way more devastating for Liam to steal her away from Ashok, who's supposed to be like a kind of underdog best friend, than someone like Madden, which is the name of this other guy, male friend who is more of just like a affable idiot. But oh, so Willow is at the gala. She talks to Liam a little bit. It's obvious that even though she's kind of dating Madden or she's aware of him, it seems like they've been out. She said... He's nice. Something like he's nice, but he's not perfect. It's clear that she's not very interested in him. No, she's not. But they have been going out because he says, how are things with Madden? And she's like, oh, he's nice. He's funny. It's no, not perfect. No, I think perfect. he only says, what do you think of Madden? Oh, okay. Um, so I don't think well, they've she, gone out. I watched this episode three times. Yeah, uh, She asked him, how are things going with the girl? And he says, not perfect. And he asked her, how are things going with Madden? And she says, he's nice. He's funny. It's not perfect. You get the basic idea. It only really comes into play in a way that I think is at all significant in the fight part of the episode. But uh, Willow does a few other things in this pre-gala time. She buys tickets for Liam and puts them in Liam's box. And I was like, Willow, you're only character flaw is that you have a crush on Liam. Incidentally, that's also Catherine's only character flaw because she has been so non-obnoxious in these past few episodes until she and Liam share the screen and then all of a sudden it's like her entire personality goes into shutdown mode. 
Um, but Willow puts in some tickets. Uh, Helena, who basically treats this girl like her secretary, which I definitely don't understand because it was established last season that Willow is of noble blood and an independently wealthy heiress as well. Okay. Uh, Helena pulls her aside and is like, your new job is coming up with a list of suitable candidates for Robert to marry, to be potentially queen, because you know all these upper class girls and I trust your judgment. I'm like, yeah, she knows all this upper class girls because she is one and you trust her judgment because she's a really responsible person who would probably make a pretty good queen, but okay. Um, so then uh, Willow walks up to Robert and my favorite reference the show has maybe ever made ensues. She acts like she's quizzing him about questions that would determine like his perfect mate in some abstruse way and then when he finishes answering she goes wow only three questions it's official you're a Gryffindor not that I'm surprised yeah although I don't think the test bears that out at all by the way just for the record no, his answers were incredibly Slytherin to me, and yeah, he is I, an incredibly Slytherin character to me. Yeah, it, there's uh, there's only three questions before she comes to that conclusion, which is wholly too few. There's kind of a cute moment, though, where she's like, if you were trapped on a desert island, and they exchange a look, and she's like, well, I'll skip, we'll skip that, that one. one. Yeah. But there's one, so one of the answers seems particularly a Ravenclaw to me, and one seems kind of Slytherin. There's one where, how would you defeat a troll, a sword, a stone, a revolver, or your mind? And now I would assume personally that sword would be Gryffindor. Yeah, stone as in the would be sword Hufflepuff, of Gryffindor. Uh, revolver would be Slytherin, and mind would be Ravenclaw. Absolutely. And he selects mind. There's no, doesn't enough... he select, he doesn't select revolver? Nope, he selects okay. mind. That is very Ravenclaw. And then there's another one, uh, the last one, uh, which is, which of these animal traits would you like to have? And I guess he selects the agility of a cat. I guess you could make an argument for Gryffindor just no. because lion, but that's but the agility thing doesn't bear that out. In the Harry Potter world, cats are an all wizard and witches thing. Like any one of the kids from any four houses can bring a cat to school. They're not specifically tied to Gryffindor, besides Professor McGonagall, who can turn into a cat, obviously. Um, but agility is like the ability to escape an enemy, whereas a Gryffindor would be brave. So they would choose like strength as their ability, not agility. So you're right. I felt that all of his answers, regardless of whether they were Slytherin or Ravenclaw, were not Gryffindor. But they were also not yeah. Hufflepuff, which leads to the best joke of the episode, in my opinion. Although I'm very biased because I love Harry Potter. Uh, he's like, at least I wasn't a Hufflepuff. And Willow completely deadpans. What's wrong with Hufflepuffs? And he's like, oh, uh, did I offend? Like, feels like maybe he accidentally goofed up. And she's like, just kidding. I'm a Ravenclaw. Obviously. And walks away. And as she walks away, he kind of looks back at her like, ho, you're a good time, which indeed she is. Yeah. It's sort of like a, it's just, it was nice to have a scene that was fun in the midst of, you know, the usual angst. I, I almost feel like uh, the joke would have worked better if he had said, at least I'm not a Slytherin, 
because of the fact that Genevieve Gaunt played a Slytherin student in the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, I can't believe we haven't mentioned that. Genevieve Gaunt played Pansy Parkinson in the first two or three Harry Potter movies. They eventually swapped her out with another actress. But uh, And they're having her talk about Harry Potter, and it's super weird. I was like, hey, if they've got the stones to do that, they better have old William Mosley start dropping in some Chronicles of Narnia references. And then Elizabeth Hurley can go, yeah, baby. Of course. (laughs) That would be not intrusive at all. That's the the only thing I've seen her in. Catherine and Angie show up to the event. Angie, uh, graciously, (laughs) sort of, buys Catherine a ticket to the auction, which is 300 pounds. And she's like, well, this is your birthday present and your Christmas present and your next birthday present. I really like Angie. I regret that I thought she was going to be a backstabber. She's really cute and fun. It's nice to see girls supporting each other on the show for once. I mean, I know they're sisters, but in the Royals world, family means nothing. Yeah. And and when they walk in, Catherine is amazed at how uh majestic the palace is and angie notes that it's uh funny that she has seen both princes naked but has not seen the palace but she's never bitter or jealous about it which i think is what makes her constant references to the fact that her sister has boned both the princes kind of funny and charming as opposed to weird or gross so she gets her ticket and she puts it in robert's but she stares longingly at liam's the entire time this whole episode is so strongly telegraphing that Catherine still has intense feelings for liam sort of later in the episode she is pointedly disregarding Liam's pain at multiple moments. I think at the end, she's meant to not have seen his bloodied face. I know, but, but I like to believe. it doesn't make any sense. In my own mind, she saw it and was like, mm, I'm not getting involved with that. Like I said, her only character flaw is having a crush on Liam, so I'm totally fine with that. The uh, auction comes, and Liam goes first, and he is won by the Fair Ladies, which is Cyrus's ex-wife, and three of her friends. And this scene could have been way grosser than it was because I was like, ooh, Liam's ex-aunt. I know she was never his relative by blood, but if she's going to flirt with him, that's going to be really gross. But if anything, she was very auntly and sort of tried to tone down the flirtatiousness and bawdiness of the other older women. So that was just a small detail that I appreciated. It's, you know, sometimes the show is not good at acknowledging that characters who should know each other know each other. Like the thing how Robert didn't know Willow, even though he obviously would have. So stuff like that. I appreciated that it was like established that these two were family members in some way the fair ladies are like the real housewives of london wherever this palace is i'm not quite sure um they're really you know they're kind of like cougar types they're very made up they're very glamorous but they're not you know like maybe super super I don't know what I don't know how did I don't want to describe these women in a way that's insulting. They're funny. They are very flirtatious, yeah, they're, they're, they're like flirtatious. coming on to Liam. And he obviously is just like, like he's a good sport about it, but he's not interested in any of them. Rather than going on the scheduled art tour, they're immediately more interested in popping open a bottle of champagne and just having and drinks. talking shit and talking shit. They say they went with Liam because he knows how to have 
more fun than Robert, which you could maybe, that is one place where you might, at least historically speaking, be able to make an argument. Because at least Liam used to go out and party a little bit. Robert seems like he never, ever does. If you buy the show's tell-not-show backstory of Liam as the quote-unquote playboy prince, then it fits perfectly. So you just have to go with, yeah. In the first season, he legitimately went out to, like, fun events and parties. He's introduced at a bar, like, kind of showing off. And they go to Aruba or whatever and have a big house party. But he couldn't take... Uh, he couldn't take Ophelia to a silent disco like Nick could. Yeah. The ultimate in sexual romance. You know what would be great for Liam? Just like how it was kind of good, probably kind of good for Eleanor to have a bit of a breather where she's not involved with anybody and she can have her own time just developing her skills. If there were a time maybe next season where Liam wasn't involved with anybody and he was just the sort of playboy prince type instead of the mopey McGee, like I'm hung up on this one lady and he actually goes out and does things that are exciting and fun. Maybe that would be good for the character. We got a sense of why he actually wants to be king because the previews from next week are teeing up that Liam feels like he has a legitimate claim to the throne because he was about to ascend right before Robert was rediscovered and like why he's lazy he's lazy as fuck he's totally unmotivated someone has to like basically directly appeal to him on a human level for him to want to help their cause which is not really how politics should work although i fear it is how they do it does work sometimes literally everything he does his sole motivation is constantly for a girl that he doesn't know yeah. super well like throughout that serial monogamous yeah, yeah. His Even the domino for stuff, setting up the charity, his motivation for wanting to be king, it's always... Even the yeah. domino stuff was so tied up in Dominique Jr. Um, meanwhile, Robert has his own charity event where uh, Catherine wins, despite entering one ticket. Again, this is pretty clearly rigged, um, which makes me feel a little bad for all the other people who paid a lot of money to try and do these things. I'm sure there's some poor people who, like, maybe... I guess they were all rich folks. Catherine and Angie were easily the poorest people there. You're right, the show you're right. made that super clear. They said at the beginning. Clear. They said at the beginning but it was only rich people. But the reason he does it though is so good. This hot Slytherin bitch because he totally pulls it together. Um, and it was a really smart idea because now he and Catherine can go public with their relationship, pretending that they just met by happenstance at the charity gala after he returned from the dead. And he says to her, like, the story is basically that you're Cinderella. Like, the press will eat it up. They won't ask any questions. And, you know, like, we don't have to deal with the press right now. I just want to be with you alone. It's really romantic. She notices that the liquor that he told her he had never tasted so he could get alone with her in the first place, he already has a whole box. So, you know, like... Again, if not for the whole, she definitely slept with his brother a bunch of times. This would be a really, really sweet and romantic thing. Robert always has liquor hiding everywhere. He is the um, Boo Radley of booze. Yeah. Booze Radley, even. She seems excited that he wants to go public. And yeah, I think I'm- a lot of her nerves come from it being kind of a crazy idea in that it involves a lot of trickery. Yeah, I think she's nervous about lying to the public or the press, maybe. This is 100% Robert's wheelhouse. She should really just step back and let the master work. That brings us to the actual fight. Yes. 
So Robert has Beck as his corner guy. What's it called? Corner man? The well, person do you think I know? What talks the, you up. The guy you who is in the corner. you seen Rocky movies? I have seen Creed. Okay. That's more than I've seen. Well, I still don't know. Okay. Whatever. Uh, Beck is in Robert's corner. Madden, the music festival friend who is. I think it's your trainer, maybe. Nice and dumb is in Liam's corner, but it's kind of more for show and for water bottle holding. Um, Eleanor is like the ring girl who starts the show. Cyrus officially starts the match. And says that he'll double if the person he has chosen to win, the person he's bet on, he will double the size of his charitable donation and encourages the audience to do the same. He tells the boys that he bet on Liam, too. Not in so many words, but he's got them both, like, by mm-hmm. the neck in the huddle, and he's like, now, obviously, I hope you would both just kill each other, but since I have to pick one of you, I bet on the underdog, which is obviously Liam, because although I know Liam's very proud of being in his homeless person fight club, he, unlike his brother, doesn't have actual military experience. That's Um, true. And just a quick bit, as they're walking up to the ring, even before the Cyrus stuff, um, there's the most pouty moment of all time. Uh, Robert and Willow are seen talking to each other. He's like, there's my personal sorting hat. Another cute Harry Potter reference. And she's like, oh, I was late to the match. And looking across the ring, Madden is like, Willow's talking to Robert or Willow's flirting with Robert. Something like that. Do you think she's into him? And Liam's like, isn't everyone? (laughs) The one thing about the military experience is I'm not sure that, that the military does training for hand-to-hand combat but don't you think you would don't but don't you think it would give you physical strength to punch harder than the other person and endurance to withstand more pain than the other person i mean robert probably does have that in particular because he works out constantly (laughs) like every time we see he also boxes for fun and has his whole life so that Absolutely, yes, makes sense. I imagine it depends on the person. They're both shredded like lettuce. Yeah. It's made very clear that although Liam is doing better than Robert expected him to, Robert's plan all along was to let Liam win for the sake of it being a good show and for the sake of the charity situation. He tells Beck that he's going to make him work for it. Yeah. Uh, at one point. But there's a point where he knocks Liam down and they start to count him out. I hated this. And this this is uh, a couple things happen during this little interlude. Uh, The first is that he has flashbacks to all the times he's been quote unquote wronged by his brother. Like the time that I will say it's a little it's a little bit douchey. I think I I didn't feel sorry for Liam in this flashback, but there's a flashback to him calling Bagsy, which you may remember means dibs from an earlier episode on Catherine. I didn't feel sorry for Liam in that, but I did. I do think that's a little tasteless to call dibs on a on a on a person. I agree, but I will give the show faint praise because I thought going into this episode that Robert would surely find out about Catherine and Liam, and it would be a literal fight for her. And it was on kind of like a metaphorical level of fight for her, but Robert didn't know. So it wasn't like 
let's make a bet. Whoever wins this fight gets the girl, which I would have absolutely hated. So it was actually well, more interesting than that. Regardless, there's a couple other flashbacks to him being slided. I'm, he probably calls him Sparrow or some shit. No, that was the only time they showed Robert sliding him. The rest of it was Simon flashbacks. The other thing that is significant is he's staring at Catherine, who's at the ringside while he's down. And she is not looking at him on the ground. She is looking fawningly up at Robert and not paying attention to Liam, who is in bad shape on the ground. And she has no concern for him whatsoever. She doesn't even glance at him. Also during the fight, I caught that they, I don't know whether accidentally or on purpose, did you notice they used the same reaction shot of Willow twice? Like, no, I didn't. the exact same clip twice, two separate times. Thinking of his dad, taking his dad's advice literally, when his dad told him to keep going, there's no way he meant it in a metaphorical way. He meant literally, get up and do this. Right. So he gets the strength to fight some more. Um, he gets a good punch in there on Robert. And it seems like he actually does knock Robert momentarily unconscious. And then Robert is kind of picking himself up and the 10 second countdown runs out. So I guess you could kind of go back and forth on how able Robert actually was to continue fighting after that moment. But there is a scene uh, after that where Liam talks to Robert in his room following the events and Robert tells Liam. Yeah, we gave him a good shot. One. Cyrus bet on you. He doubled his donation. It was a show for charity. He knew that. Which Robert didn't necessarily need to say that. No, he really didn't. It's They obviously have a very competitive relationship. Yeah. I'm not excusing Robert. Liam comes in and is like, guess I just got a few more lucky shots on you, which is pretty innocuous as far as like winning statements go it seems like he's trying to be not i didn't i didn't get the vibe that he's trying to be rude no no or lord his win over him (laughs) he beats liam up because liam wants to fight again you want to find out take a shot i'll give you first swing Ah! liam stop you said you didn't want to play the fool to prove that he can and and Liam's bleeding profusely from the face when there's a knock at the door and it's Catherine and she opens it and Robert comes out but Liam is standing in her sight line directly behind Robert but they play it like she can't see him but she just does even though she's looking in that direction when Robert enters she and he is bleeding from the face she just is like nope not gonna deal with that I, I mean sure it's supposed to be she doesn't see him but I like to think I like to think that she did see him and was like, yeah, no, not not worth my time. I mean, this was the most interesting scene of the episode to me in some ways because Liam just totally loses it, which is probably part of the reason why he's not able really to fight is because he's too overcome with emotion. He tries to punch... He runs at Robert screaming and Robert punches him to the ground instantly and then he gets up again and does it and Robert punches him down in the face this time and Liam is laying there on the ground trying to get up again and Robert is like you said you didn't want to play the fool I know you're gonna keep getting up because that's what you do but I'm just gonna keep putting you back down and then Robert is behind Liam and he reaches out and puts his hand on his shoulder and is like I don't want to do that I love you brother And maybe Robert is just another poorly written 
asshole and I'm giving the show too much credit. But I felt like he genuinely meant it when he said, I love you. Like it wasn't just something to calm Liam down. And he, for that reason, he might be one of the most genuinely complicated characters the show has ever written. It's fairly clear that this is obviously a metaphor for their relationship in a nutshell. Yeah, I'm going to keep putting you down. Yeah, no matter what, I can't allow you to rise, which is a fucking horrible thing to do to your sibling to be like, sorry, I can never allow you to rise to my level. So you should just know your place. They haven't really had many problems as siblings. They've been having problems as political rivals and romantic rivals. Liam, still seething, kind of watches Robert and Catherine leave and Cyrus kind of skulks out of the shadows. Like he does. Like he does. And he's like, he gives him a classic. We're not so different, you and I. And he's like, I've lived in the shadow of uh, a great older brother long enough to know the pain that comes with that look or something like that. And Liam's like, I'm not you. And Cyrus is like, not yet. Liam is crazy eyed in this scene, too. I mean, as frustrated as I get with how badly written the character is. William Mosley is still a good actor. I haven't really had many chances to praise him this season, but I'll give praise where praise is due. As melodramatic as it is when he punches out the mirror in the final moments of the episode, uh-huh. you can tell that he's like living in that moment emotionally. He's he's totally distraught. Here's my here's my prediction for this, the rest of the season. Robert is going to find out that Catherine and Liam had an affair. And this will lead to them breaking up one way or another. And Catherine and Liam will end up together. And then having Willow pick out, having a girl pick out suitable prospects for a prince and ended up falling in love with him herself is the most convenient setup for a romantic plotline. And I would honestly be shocked if the royals doesn't follow through on it with Willow and Robert because... They're not going to let him not have a love interest. And they added Willow as a series regular. And if Liam and Catherine get together, then she's not going to have a lot to do. Regardless of how the Catherine storyline shakes out, I think that the animosity between Liam and Robert is going to increase. Yeah. Uh, I still feel it's almost certain that before the end of the season, Eleanor will learn that Robert was the one who Mm -hmm. told about Jasper. And I think at that point, the show is going to have Robert pretty keyed in as a villain that Maybe. just about everybody hates and i'm not sure they'll give i'm not sure they'll go the route of even having then why did they introduce this storyline this episode because if she was friends with eleanor and she and this betrayal happened she definitely would not become romantically involved with Rob. if they're not setting this up then why did they have this happen this episode yeah well i just feel like if eleanor and liam who are the main characters of this show any way you cut it indisputably both despise robert at the end of the season it feels like it's going to be hard for him to be anything but a villain i think when the jasper fallout happens when they learn that robert was the one who leaked it robert is going to say that he did it to protect eleanor and he's going to genuinely believe that and his siblings will be really 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 mad at him like scorched earth mad but his mom won't be. Well, that's fair. I don't necessarily disagree with that. As mad as Eleanor is going to be, he's still her biological brother. And like... But uh, yeah, there's there's still a lot to do in the last three episodes this season, no matter which way you slice it. So before we run too awful long, 
let's do our favorite moment or image of the episode. It's hard for me to commit on this one because I feel like there's plenty of good stuff that worked well enough. And maybe it's, I suppose maybe I would go with the the scenes, not in particular between Eleanor and Sebastian. I think yeah. I think maybe that's a that 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 seems like a fair answer to me. I think that they had a good rapport and they didn't treat her like just another flirtatious thing. Maybe even the Eleanor and Rosie stuff was also in a similar yeah. vein, very refreshing. The Eleanor storyline I liked more or less. For royal on royal dialogue and for this show, Eleanor and Sebastian's conversation was surprisingly naturalistic. You know, like it didn't lean too heavily on dramatic cliches, which is a rarity. Well, obviously, my favorite moment was the joke. At least I'm not a Hufflepuff. What's wrong with Hufflepuffs? Just kidding. I'm a Ravenclaw. That a Harry Potter joke, especially uh, what the hell is a Hufflepuff joke, will always get me. I'm a huge, big nerd, and I loved it. She sorted Robert incorrectly willow is just like the best character and the Mm -hmm. only character that i can even remotely relate to so i'm just going to fiercely stay by her side (laughs) something some sanity to cling to there is a preponderance of slytherins in the main cast of this show liam and eleanor balance it out by being dumb dumb gryffindors (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess that brings us to a close for this particular episode. We're headed into the final three episodes of the season. I can't even believe Mm. it. And it seems like politically things are finally going to start heating up next episode. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more things happen a lot quicker starting in the next episode. I think it's going to be a mile a minute. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Well, who knows? Maybe that one will run even longer, but I hope not. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) All right. Till next time, I'm Shannon Camp. I'm Zach Powers. See ya. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter, at Stage of Fools Pod, or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.